I'm Alan Weiss with The Uncomfortable Truth. I used to work for someone named W. Clement Stone. A lot of you have probably heard of him. He's the one who fired me in 1985 and inadvertently, therefore, launched me on my current career. Stone was something else, and it is through him that I have a tenuous connection via Stone with Napoleon Hill. Now, W. Clement Stone is known, has been known for positive mental attitude, PMA, he called it. But let me tell you where he made his money. It wasn't with positive mental attitude. Way back in the 20s or 30s, don't forget he was in his 80s when I knew him and when he fired me, and he had a pencil mustache that was blackened in and penciled, uh, excuse me, and blackened slick back hair. Back in the 20s and 30s, he sold what was then called industrial insurance. Industrial insurance was really burial insurance. And for about two or three cents a week, that's right, two or three cents a week, a factory worker could purchase industrial insurance and ensure that when he died, it was a he, he would not be buried in a pauper's field. If you couldn't afford a funeral, you were buried in mass graves in a pauper's field, but you would get a proper burial. It would be plain, a pine box, but it would be a private burial with your name and your family could mourn you. And Stone would walk through these factories as a young man on each floor, seeing each person he could, selling these policies that were paid for by two or three cents a week. That was the premium. And he made a fortune. And as he made his fortune doing this, he got smart financial help around him. And eventually he built a company called Combined Insurance. And Combined Insurance grew to be a powerhouse, and he eventually sold that. And so his expertise, his strength, was in recognizing the need for this very inexpensive insurance and what could happen if a sufficient volume were sold. He sold combined insurance eventually for millions and millions of dollars. And when I knew him, Stone was worth $450 million. That's right, $450 million. The problem is his ideology was mixed up. Ideology is the science of causation. And he felt he had $450 million because he had a positive mental attitude. I told him he had a positive mental attitude because he had $450 million. And if he gave everyone $450 million, they'd all have a positive mental attitude. And so eventually he fired me. But I was president of a company he owned called Walter V. Clark Associates up here in Providence, Rhode Island. It was a psychometric testing firm. And on our board, we had the president of the American Psychological Association and Chris Argyris, a very well-known academic and psychologist and writer, and Walter V. Clark had done mammoth work in behavioral profiling and checking on behavioral predispositions. Unfortunately, he never got his PhD. He stopped just short of it. And so the psychological community as a whole never really cut him any slack. And that's interesting because if you take a look at MBTI, the Myers-Briggs type instrument, it was created by a housewife in Pennsylvania with nearly no formal education at all. The Test, the psychometric test that Walter B. Clark created and sold to corporations was ripped off by many corporations, uh, salespeople who worked for him and left him and so forth. Uh, predictive Index was founded by someone who used to work for uh, Walter B. Clark as a salesperson, just took the stuff, appropriated it, and used it in a separate company. And that happened all the time. And so I was running this company, one of 40 companies that Stone owned. And Stone was an interesting guy in terms of the fact that nobody dared challenge him. Nobody dared oppose him 
because of his vast wealth. Now, most of his money was committed, was used as credit lines for other things. Uh, For example, his daughter, unfortunately, died at a fairly young age, and his son-in-law, who was a medical physician, continued to be an integral part of the business community and used a lot of Stone's fortune as collateral for his ventures, which were never successful. I remember this guy because he used to barge into meetings we were having for our company and simply start asking questions for whatever was on his mind. He had no courtesy. He was very rude. And he did this all the time. So I was president of one of 40 companies. And I remember once we went out to Mr. Stone's house. Nobody ever called him Clement or Clem, except for one person I knew. Everyone called him Mr. Stone. We went to his house north of Chicago. It was a huge, huge mansion. And on the top floor was a ballroom. And there assembled all 40 presidents. It was called Mr. Stone's Universe. And there was a moderator, a host, an MC. And we sat in a giant U-shaped table. And I was about number 26 around the table of the 40. And it, it would be just colossally, staggeringly, otherworldly. The host would say something like, and I make this up, but you get the idea. Mr. Stone would like to move Chicago six feet to the left. What do you think? And the first guy would say, it's brilliant. The second guy would say, I can't wait to get on board. The third guy would say, six feet is perfect. Well, they got around to me and I'd say it was the stupidest idea I'd ever heard of. Why would we want to do that? Now, that wasn't actually the example, but they were about that bad. Mr. Stone's universe. I wound up driving his limousine out there. He had an old 60s humongous Cadillac limousine, which he loved. And he would often drive it with me in the back seat. He loved to drive the darn thing. But he used to hit things. And in the dash, uh, in the glove compartment, uh, I would get out from the back when he hit something, get up to the glove compartment, and I would take off uh, a pre-printed sticky note. And it would say, your, and I would fill in, I would check the box, a car, property, or pet was hit by W. Clement Stone. Please call this number for compensation. Honest to God. One time we were in Atlanta, and uh, it was a, um, a gala in honor of uh, Ted Turner. And so 40 of us were on the dais, and I am sort of the last guy over because my com- I, I, had the, I was the newest president, and I had one of the smaller companies. I was sitting, I'll never forget, next to the guy who was the producer and MC of the Bass Fishing Channel, another company that Stone owned. And he and I, his name was Orlando, he and I sat at the end. The thing is about this uh, gala for Ted Turner, before the event began, there was a cocktail party, a reception for special people, and we were invited. And the way it was, the men could meet with Ted Turner, and then, about 20 or 30 minutes later, the wives were allowed to come in. I kid you not. Uh, Don't forget, this is back in the early 80s. And uh, so Ted Turner walks in with his wife, and his wife is immediately escorted away by a gentleman, one of Ted's aides. Uh, and then Ted, uh, had the, he never was with his wife again that evening. And uh, I met him, and so did others. And when my wife came in, uh, she was mumbling and grumbling about how Ted Turner cheated on his wife, and he wasn't faithful, and he was, you know, gross, and all this kind of stuff. And Ted Turner was, I, he must have gone 6'5 or so, you know, gray hair, good-looking guy. And I said, well, let me introduce you while you're here. And so I said, excuse me, Mr. Turner, I'd like you to meet my wife, Maria. And he turned around and he said, hello, gorgeous. And my wife says to me, oh, my God, he's wonderful. These were my adventures with W. Clement Stone. 
But one of the things he did that not many people knew about, I guess, and maybe still don't, that I found out when I worked for him, is that he bailed out Napoleon Hill, the aforementioned Napoleon Hill. And Napoleon Hill, it turns out, if you read the really serious biographies, was a wastrel. He was a liar, a con man. He wrote a whole bunch of books before he wrote Think and Grow Rich, none of which got anywhere. Uh, he was always running deals and schemes where he'd borrow money and not pay it back. And he had an interesting game where he would stand at an event near Thomas Alva Edison or Carnegie, and he would then have the picture crop to claim that he was actually there with them as their coach, just the two of them in this picture. But he never even spoke to them. In his books, he was quoting things that Carnegie told him all the time, but Carnegie never spoke to him. The same thing with Edison. Edison said he doesn't remember the man. So finally, he writes Think and Grow Rich, and the book does hit it big. And he makes a lot of money, and then he spends all that. The royalties were all gone. His wife left him, she sued him, and so forth. And he was destitute, and W. Clement Stone bailed him out. So that's my tenuous connection to Napoleon Hill. I never thought much of Think and Grow Rich. I think it's vapid. I think a lot of people have bought it because it seems like you don't have to work hard to make a lot of money. And at least I know, and I assume most of you know, that that's simply not true. So W. Clement Stone believed in positive mental attitude, but he didn't realize or he refused to admit or he just distorted his own reality to the extent that the way he got 450 million bucks and was able to bail out people like Napoleon Hill and others was that he had worked hard when he was younger. He recognized an opportunity when he was younger. And then he got confused about what the real cause was. I learned a great deal there. I was fired in the O'Hare Admirals Club by W. Clement Stone and an entourage that traveled with him, including uh, Richard Nixon's former press secretary. And Stone, as was his wont, wore a cape. And it took about five minutes, and we met. He fired me. And um, I'm one of the few people you'll ever meet who was fired by a man wearing a cape, unless Superman fires people. And when I called my wife after they left, and she said, what happened? And I told her. She said, well, we kind of expected that, didn't we? I said, I guess so. She said, I'll tell you what, what are you going to do? I said, I want to go out on my own. I don't want any more ever to fire me again. I don't want to be in that position ever again. And she said, I'll tell you what, screw the mortgage, but you better get serious. I have, and here we are, and that's the uncomfortable truth. <laughs>